Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bard's Backlog, episode number 33, or 32.5, depending on how we want to label this. I am your host, Josh Gagos, joined, as always, by my good cohort and the casual slash mercenary, Jared Benson. Jared, how are you doing? What's cooking, Mr. Goodlooking? Uh, not too much. Um, it, uh, I I don't know. Where did you get mercenary from? Like, how did I go from the casual I don't to know. the mercenary? Where did you get it, that from? I don't know. I just, I, I remember mentioning it. <laughs> and I don't know why that particular word. I just was like, what's a, like, what's a non-casual who's also not hardcore? Yeah. I, I don't know why mercenary. I, honestly, I cannot explain the logic to you. I'm sorry. Hey, I'm all about it. Since when just, have we ever done things that like make a ton of sense? <laughs> like you, you, like the idea there is kind of along the lines of you're you're a loose cannon, you're on the outside, but you're also involved. Okay, I like that. Like, I like that. you know, like casuals, like oh, what's this? I'm at my friend's house, and you know, they just booted this thing up. Whereas you're you're past that stage, you know, you're yeah. you're, you're somewhere else. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, some some dark corner of the world so. yeah for but, hire i wouldn't Oklahoma. be doing this podcast if you weren't paying me so that's that's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh we don't talk about such things <laughs> here. Uh, no. and nonetheless of course this is uh the hall of games i keep calling it a bars backlog you know what jared i might just end up going back to that title i think the hall of games is slightly more marketable but we have not been marketing this at all anyway so uh nonetheless this is the podcast about video games being inducted into what we call the hall of games whether or not that's the title of the podcast or whatever uh we are the gatekeepers and subsequent executioners of any video game candidates including today's although today is a special exception because for today's episode we are going through alden ring once again which in our last episode we put into our hall of games so that's not changing here Jared and I just felt like because of the depth of this game, uh, because of our own love and passion for it, we had a lot more that we could say. And there was a lot of little points and details that we didn't get to in our three plus hours long podcast that uh, we just want to make sure we do do uh well with this particular title and do our best with so like i said kind of a half step between episodes we're not going to be nominating per se but if we did we would then uh decide whether or not to put it in hall of games which is how a standard episode goes so check out any of our other episodes if you want what i guess could be called suspense nonetheless for this one jared let's jump into it uh with a question here uh, if you could live in any fantasy setting, like uh, lore world situation, what would you choose, and why would it be Elden Ring? <laughs> you know, um, I one of the things that I've complained about with Elden Ring and FromSoft games in general in the past is that they're too empty. They're too yes. empty. It's like too many undead, or it's or it's, it's whatever else. If I had to live in a game, in a game world, um, I'd probably be, oh, I don't know, Spider-Man or something, or maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, um, maybe Horizon. That actually might be a lot of fun, but, but definitely not Elden Ring <laughs> as much as I love, as the tarnished. I don't know if I'd have, the, you, you wonder why, like, you're tarnished, obviously as a player, you wonder why other tarnished have given up. Or why they've found sure. other avenues 
And to me, I like to imagine it's because the thought of dying over and over and over and over again and keep coming back is traumatizing, right? And so they right. just decide to not die and to, you know, leave uh, leave a legacy where they can without dying, you know. And I wonder when you find stuff on corpses, you know, the corpse of a tarnish per se, if their corpse is there because there's a final death and as long as you don't give up, you don't achieve final death. You see what I'm saying? Like the spirit yeah, withers yeah. and like that's, a, I've always liked that theory. It's my own. I don't know if that's true or has anything, any shred of truth to it. We'd have to ask Miyazaki, but, but, uh, but yes, definitely not Elden Ring. It's too, it's too empty for sure. I, well, uh, even going along with that, and I guess this could be just a great segue into the lore side of things, but you, technically, like, the whole world itself is set up with without death, right? Like, everyone's going to be going back into the Erd Tree, and then the Erd Tree gives you new life, whatever that means. Yeah. And then along the way, you find those spirits that are just there, you know? The little glowy guys, the little, like, see-through white people that are everywhere. So... Are those the people going along with your theory? Are those the people that just didn't have the willpower to continue through? Because they're they're like stuck, aren't they? If I'm not mistaken, that's they're it's like they didn't quite get to the rebirth process. Yeah, they're they are spirits, and they are you can kill them. Um, but oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, the soldiers, like for instance, the headless mausoleum soldiers that guard the. Um, mausoleum and weeping penance i'm pretty sure you can kill those guys i'm pretty sure i didn't even think of lumping them into the same category but you're totally right they are and i think what's interesting if you look at the headless uh there's a legendary ash of war that you get from oh i don't remember where i i once i platinum the game i looked up all the things that i didn't have to finish it and but i don't remember where i got it from but uh the headless mausoleum soldier um actually succumbed to death intentionally in order to be, in order to come back as a spirit and to guard to guard the death of God, uh, the body of Godwin eternally, um, and mm. I found that very interesting. Supposedly, spirits can die, but then they come back as um, spirits intentionally. I guess that's a possibility. Mm. I don't know why the, you know, the timeline is thrown off here for sure, as far as Laura is considered, because Queen Merica removed the rune of death right when she achieved Elden Ring status and became a god and and um, became the vassal of the, the two fingers. She immediately, one of the first things she did was remove the rune of death. And I wonder if, you know, if that's the case, did some people die beforehand and become spirits intentionally so that you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a weird, sure. there's a weird thing that goes on there in the timeline. And Malekith has the the blade of death, and all, all, he's outside of time in Crumbling Faramazula. There's so much going on with with what's dead and what's not. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's certainly, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird twist, and I really haven't been able to untangle it myself. How how much of the the how much of a rabbit hole have you gone down with the lore, Josh? Not as much as I'm assuming you have, Jared, just because I know you're you're a, a lore monster. Um, I, I'm more, no more than a few YouTube videos, I guess. Um, and then, of course, just looking at things every so often in items descriptions. But otherwise, like I, I guess I ascribe to it a little more than the average person who plays the game. But I'm I'm definitely not 
like completely mastered. Uh, I, I couldn't tell anybody that I was. Uh, but I mean, that being said, I mean, I know for sure that, you know, Ronnie came and took a uh, destined death for herself and then used that to kill Godwin. Like, that's an event that happened. Do you think yes. maybe those spirits started to form after that event? Or is it somewhere in between that particular moment and when Merica became a god? Yeah, I I don't I don't actually know. So there seems to be there seems to be so Ronnie has her the doll. The doll is modeled after her old mentor, the Snow Witch, and there's also a spirit lingering next to the doll that seem it, that is intertwined with the the right side of her face, right? Uh, coincidentally, which lines up nicely with the scar and the the closed eye that is on um, Melina's face, who is your guide right at the start of the game. So there's mm. some interesting speculation as to who's who, and maybe perhaps Melina is the long lost Glomide queen, or related to, or perhaps you know this, you know this and that and the other. And it's interesting um, that Rani stealing the Rune of Death from Malekith's Black Blade. Um, because, so, for anyone who's not as familiar, Queen Merica took the Rune of Death from the Elden Ring and gave it to Malekith to safeguard, and he put it inside of a blade, and that was Malekith's blade, which could kill a demigod if anyone challenged him, right? And Rani, on the night of the the Black Knives, stole the Rune of Death from Malekith, performed an ancient rite, killed her body, and killed Godwin's soul. And they swapped. So she lost her body but kept her soul. He lost his soul but kept his body. Which is interesting. It's like now that there's there's this weird twisted corpse that is supposedly the body of Godwin. And um, and Rani's body is discarded but her soul exists. So it's it, there's this weird thing going on. I don't know if one has to discard their body to retain their spirit form. And that's a sacrifice that they have to give up to do. I, I don't know. But it, it is certainly... It's certainly cause for some discussion. And when I when I talk about the lore, I can't help but admit that yes, I have spent hours jumping down that rabbit hole and looking up these YouTube videos. Because I think if 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 one thing that Miyazaki can be credited for, it's building a community and and millions and millions of views on people who are Un, you know, not financially tied to Miyazaki. It's not like he monetizes all this extra content. No, this mm-hmm. is out there for creators to enjoy and to speculate on. And I've heard some crazy wild theories that I've tremendously enjoyed. Um, and and we can certainly get into more of those. I just I, I need to know this, Josh, because I've been wondering about this about you for a while. So what? So what is that? Is diving deep into like the lore, the things that quote unquote don't really matter about the game. Does that bore you? Does that is it just not interesting? Are there other things more pressing? Are you just too busy? Like what keeps you from lying awake at night uh <laughs> looking at YouTube videos on lore for a game that, you know, you've played? I mean, the, the answer to that is just sleep, but no, I don't it definitely doesn't bore me, not at all. I love the lore in most video games to be honest. I've never been one and I was actually that's not true. When I was younger, I very much was like the kind of person who would go onto wikis and just read volumes of content. Mm. And I have done that. I did that with Dark Souls last summer. Um, and 
perhaps if I had more time, I think that is a part of it is just split attention for me. Um, And I feel like I have a general handle on Elden Ring that I don't necessarily need to trouble myself with all the crazy details. And I know as well that I have the next several years and the rest of my life to, you know, finally get a handle on everything that's going on. So I guess it's just like a, eh, uh, it's not a, a desire on the level of urgency for me. Um, so it's one that I've shelved that I've put away, but not necessarily that's not there at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like if, I, if this was, 14 year old josh he'd be all over this de- detail and, and like you know uh, just craving every little theory and whatnot because that's that's the way i've been in the past um but i mean i i feel like i still have a good handle on it like throw something at me jared like test me i'll i'll throw it back at you because i feel like for some for some people like yeah they're gonna have a hard time like oh who's Who's Merica? Who's Melina? What's the difference sure. between all these different people? I feel like I have a good idea of that. Yeah. Now, that doesn't apply to everything. Obviously, there's a ton of questions here. Um, but I think the beauty of a piece of lore like this, the beauty of a world like this, is when it's as in-depth as it is, which in this can be said about Elden Ring, um, you, you do get that whole community. You get all kinds of people going and, and breaking it down. And in the past, right, for Lord of the Rings, you'd have people writing books about it and scholars and, uh, you know, academics in their research halls uh, trying to figure out what J.R.R. Tolkien meant with this particular thing. And now we have the Internet, we have forums, we got all kinds of people getting in on the conversation. And so, like, I think this is just me as an academic academically approaching this content i i can see that it's rich like i can see that there's so much here to break down and yeah it doesn't always have its question uh, questions answered uh but i i mean i i appreciate it and even though maybe i'm not in the thick of it like i'm not in the actual archaeological dig with a shovel trying to get every little piece and nuance of detail um doesn't mean i don't enjoy it so and are you are you are you resentful like I am of Miyazaki for not being more forthcoming and straightforward? (laughs) (laughs) I guess in a way, yes, actually Um, with Elden ring. I think he's, he's satiated me. I definitely felt that a lot with dark souls and bloodborne. Um, Aggravation. Yeah. 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 And Bloodborne's the great example of just like some of this, I don't think it was even thought through. Like you're 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 making it seem like oh there's something behind this, but in my mind I'm like no, uh, you don't have an answer, you know? Right. Um, which is not a good place to be in. Whereas right. with Elden Ring, because of how in depth it is, I feel like yeah, like there perhaps there is an answer to whether or not uh, the headless knights came about before the Knight of Black Knives or after. Um, yeah. I feel like there is an answer to that, and and there is an answer to uh, who Malina is and they're playing coy, which mm. is better. That's the better way to take it. And, and I can see why you'd still be aggravated because they are playing coy. Um, but I, I, I like Elden Ring. I think that the, the depth of it is good for me. Now you're the type of guy, you're the Skyrim guy who goes in and reads every single book. So, yes. So where's your, where's your hold up here, Jared? What, what part of the game do you feel like maybe is limiting is lacking when it comes to the story and the lore? Yeah. Well, certainly, um, 
certainly I don't, per, I don't ask these questions as a challenge, <laughs> as like challenging you, certainly not. But I, I do find it interesting as to your distinction, because I actually was going to say what you were going to say is like, why doesn't this game seem to aggravate you like it aggravates me? And I think my answer has to do with the fact that Vatavidya satisfied me with Bloodborne and Dark Souls 1 both. So, um, and Dark Souls 3 never grabbed me enough for me to care, but for Bloodborne, I did care and I did some research and, and Vatya, uh, his explanations on YouTube were like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. So like, even if Miyazaki didn't think through all of this, I think that this is a nice summed up whole finished package. Right. And uh, I felt the same way with DS1. I felt like all my questions had been roughly answered or at least answered to the degree that I was curious by the community. But when hmm. it comes to Elden Ring, I do feel like he's playing coy. I'm, ex- I'm in the same camp with you. I feel like because part of it was written by George R. R. Martin, that he is the type of person because he's an actual author. You know, like there's a difference between being a creative ga- uh, game designer and being a an author who's also a game designer. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think that Miyazaki's creativity is there, sure, but I also felt similar to you in past games that this is there just for a game point, just from the gameplay point of view, as opposed to there for a reason. And uh, with with Elden Ring, I do actually feel like everything is in there for a reason, that there's there's a reason that Merica behaves the way she does, and there's a reason that item descriptions are the way that they are. Um, and it bothers me that I can't figure it out because it makes me feel like instead of pulling a one over on me and that it will be found eventually, I'm with a lot of other creators. I, I don't create anything. I don't make YouTube videos, but I'm with a lot of other creators and the fact that I feel like I'm running out of content already because there's things behind closed doors that I can't see. And, hmm. um, if, if that makes sense, as opposed to things that left undiscovered, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and part of that is the reason why I said in you know the main podcast, I felt like, uh, I think I made this comment, at least I was thinking it, is that data miners had taken something from me because it feels like there's nothing left to be discovered sometimes. But mm-hmm. you know we all have this hope for the, the DLCs. Like there's mention of the Glomide Queen. There's mention, of, and she's mentioned in um, the Godskin Apostle stuff and the Godskin Noble stuff. And um, there's mention of the Colosseums, people being kicked from Colosseums. There's mention of uh, a final boat being left behind, whereas Godfrey and his men left the lands between and and all that and you know died in the land far away. It, it's fascinating, fascinating, fascinating stuff. But I do feel like there is a curtain yet to be lifted, and uh, it just makes me more impatient and agitated <laughs> when I think that they're being um, intentionally withholding. Um, you know, is I there almost, any particular question you have that's yes. like so burning? I mean, so many, so many of them. So we know from Gold Mask's quest line, which is the one I just most recently completed, we know from his quest line that Radicon, uh, Radagon is Merica. Mm-hmm. And and in the, the Queen's bedside chambers, um, the Melina will sit down with you and say, Echoes of Queen America linger here. And it's in the words of Queen America, she says, um, Radagon, you are yet to become me. You know, the leal hound of the Golden Order. You know, in other words, a, a loyal dog of the Golden Order. And um, let us be shattered together. And that's so interesting. It almost makes it seem like America captured Radagon and turned him into her at some point. And I just want to know when that was. 
is this why, you know, why, why was Godwin the golden chosen to be the one assassinated? Was Ronnie intentionally going for Queen Merica, but then instead sat, um, was stuck with, uh, Godwin and, where does there's so many questions where does godefroy godefroy fit into this lineage like godric the grafted is a different character than godefroy um and but they're both similar and they've both been grafted so it's like where forefathers one and all there's only one forefather if godric is the um direct descendant of um uh who's his daddy i don't know godfrey or he's godwin is or no right so if it's forefathers one and all, how many in his lineage are still there? Um, are shard bearers just the descendants? They can be given, apparently, because Radagon gave his shard to um, Renala and, and all this different stuff. Like, there's so many questions. Why is it that, you know, is Radagon's crisscross pattern actually great rune, or does it just set as the background of the Elden Ring? I don't know. There's so hmm. many things, and I have so many questions. And I kind of, would it be good for the community or bad for the community to have definite answers? What do you think? Uh, I mean, that comes down to a question about how many answers you need for a fantasy setting, I feel like. Mm. Like, I guess that's that's what it comes down to. And I think part of that is how well you answer the question in the first place. Like, nobody's too worried about and I keep going back to Lord of the Rings just because it's a really easy it's a comparison. Good yeah. Um, but nobody's too worried about like Sauron's motivations. Like you just, you just know he wants power. And even though like, you don't know every single little detail about him. And quite frankly, I haven't read the Silmarillion. So don't at me all you crazy hyper nerds who knew all this information. But like, I know for me, like I was perfectly fine just knowing, okay, Sauron was a dude who, tasted of the power or who had the ring made for him and because of that like he just he, he knows how to wield it he knows what that power is and uh now that he's come back as an eye which also again kind of not fully explained like but i don't mind it because the answers that are given are satiating as opposed to maybe an elden ring it's like ah that only opens up more questions um yeah. And in that way, it's it's not like maybe you do answer the question, but it's it's in such a simplified or indirect or whatever way that now you have so many more. Um, it, it springs up more questions, which at that point is going back to your answer. It's not a good answer because you, you didn't give an answer that that's satisfied. Um, so I, I guess that would be my response to that. Um, do you think because of the unsatisfaction that this this is maybe inaccessible or maybe lore that hasn't reached the heights of something like a Lord of the Rings? Like, where would you rank this? Yeah, yeah, uh, amongst others. That's a good question. I don't. It. I would have to be a, a nerd with knowledge of <laughs> the entire fantasy genre. I would. I would imagine that in a technical sense. The number of characters, the number of plot lines, the number of introduced timelines, the narrative backstories, all this different stuff. I'm sure there is some fantasy series out there by some unknown author that was just so big that it didn't appeal to any mainstream audiences. And therefore, the people that have, you know, 
how deep do you want to go? Do you want to go to the abyss of fantasy or do you want to dip your toes in the water, right? And like most mainstream people prefer to go out and swim where they can't touch the bottom just barely, but they can yeah. see it from there. And I think that that, you know, in a technical sense, there there must be an abyss. Someone must have written the most in-depth fantasy story ever. But there's something palpable in the frustration of not having all the answers as opposed mm. to, the slog that is just finding them that they're out there. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, you know, yeah. they're there because the author has promised that they're there, but where's the fun in that? You can almost argue that it's, it is better this way because the, the community continues to thrive for months after a game is released. I mean, yeah, the, there's so many AAA games being released that to generate discussion months and years later, I think people are still talking about DS3 DS1, DS2, Bloodborne, Sekiro, and every time FromSoft releases a new game, discussion about the old games pops back up. Yeah. And and there's something to be said for that, for leaving things unsaid. And whether it was intentional or not, Tolkien did that with Lord of the Rings, and Miyazaki and George R. R. Martin have done it again with Elden Ring. I don't know where I would rank it. I'd have to have a bigger knowledge yeah. of fantasy. But that's it's, yeah, it's a tough question. In terms of games, though, it's it's up there. Now, Skyrim had Skyrim had quite a bit of lore, but they also had fewer loose ends um, and and fewer main characters, right? Like you had like the the nine Aegean gods, um, and then you had the nine. Um, uh, now I, the words are slipping me. Um, the nine evil lords, essentially, but evil and good were flip flop. It's kind of like the Greek gods. They they can be good at times. They can be evil at times, based on a, an objective, you know, Judeo Christian standpoint. But yeah, what uh, are those guys called? Something isn't it something with a D? Uh, yeah, because um, um, Oblivion is about one of them, like opening up a portal. Yes, it's not to Oblivion. <laughs> yeah, that Molog Molog Bale is the prime enemy in Oblivion, but he is a um I can't remember. I feel like it starts with a D. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's not, we'll, it's, we'll have to look it up. Yeah, it's not Draconic because that's from that's that's from Elden Ring. Um it's not Draugr. I don't remember. But Daedra, Daedra. That's um, the right. Daedric lords. And they, mm-hmm. same idea, you know, a bunch of lords, they all have their books, they all have their personalities. You get to meet some of them in game, some of them are in DLCs and all that stuff. So lots of fleshed out little mini stories, but very few main characters. What's interesting about Elden Ring is that instead of getting smacked in the head with a bat, you know, like Skyrim does, it's more like an arrow with sharp three or four bits of information and it pierces you and doesn't leave much you see what i'm saying like there's a difference in the scope of the information and um while skyrim is broader yes i wish elden ring is broader and skyrim was more narrow if i if i could have Hmm. my cake and eat it too as well um i it's just fascinating to me all this different stuff i and there's item descriptions as a gameplay mechanic and a lore mechanic are a a fantastic way to do things Um, oh yeah yeah such a iconic thing now for from software uh-huh. but back when demon souls came out and dark souls thereafter like that's where a lot of the lore and information was that people just had no clue to even look for yep um so i think that's part of why people are so confused <laughs> with dark souls especially and then you know come to find out later like oh i need to be looking at the items and after that pretty much every other game you're good to go um but okay i got a couple questions here for you go Jared. ahead shoot 
Now, you, even just the way you're talking makes me like wonder what would this game be like if it were like back pre-internet times. Like my mm. goodness, mm. like then you'd probably then you wouldn't have the data miners right going through and and spoiling everything. But okay, that's not the world we live in. There are still contentious things within this, even though we got the internet and all the answers, like you said, that, you know, people fall down on either side of. So my question, specifically, one of these things that people talk about all the time is Melina. Mm -hmm. Jared, what do you think of Melina? Is that a question that you enjoy having or is that one of those ones that kind of rubs you the wrong way and agitates you? No, I, it's it, it's like <laughs> it's one of those. I, of course, I enjoy having all these questions. What agitates me is the lack of answers. I, you know, uh, and Melina. So her role in a lot of these things, it seems to be obvious that Merica is her mother. Now, where this happened, or why she's not a shard bearer, or how many other children there are that aren't demigods and aren't um, shard bearers is interesting. And Melina has the Blade of Calling, which it, its item description escapes me right now. Um, but she, her Blade of Calling functions almost identical to the Black Knife Blade. And which, you know, you jump up in the air and you fling a, a disc, discus-shaped magic projectile. And it functions the exact same way as the Black Knife. So it's like where... You know, if, if Melina is the daughter of Merica, that makes sense because the Black Knife uh, assassins are rumored to be Newman, which is the same race Merica is. And so that, that makes sense. But there's also this weird correlation of her left eye being in the same position of the shadow of Rani's right eye. The spirit there is almost as if they're linked. Um, but I don't think I actually don't think they're linked. I think that's a fake, a fake out. Actually, um, instead of instead of that, what's it, what is interesting? Well, I'll stick with Melina for now. But I, but I, it seems clear that she's Merica's daughter. But it also doesn't. It, it maybe she used to be the Glomide Queen. But if if that was the case, the Glomide Queen and Merica were at odds with each other. So that's not that doesn't really line up nicely. But maybe they're related. I, I'm not quite sure. Who's the Glomide Queen? So the Glomide Queen is in an item description from the um, the 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 Godskin Apostles, essentially. So their um, their item description states that the Glomide Queen had power over the, um, uh, the what, what am I trying to say? Had power over the Black Flame, which could kill gods. By the by, and. Um, so the Glomide Queen was an Empyrean, um, which was an Empyrean is someone chosen by the two fingers. So there, there's so much, there's so much going on. It, it, here the description is: um, the Glomide Queen cradles newborn apostles, meaning Godskin apostles, swaddled in this cloth. Soon they will grow to become the death of the gods. And this is a description from the Godskin swaddling cloth. Um, and it says the Glomide Queen was an Empyrean chosen by her own two fingers. She wielded the power of death and death and is the mother of the Godskin Apostles. And her, that's all we know. That's it. That's all we know. So there's been a lot of speculation saying that Melina is the Glomide Queen or is related to the Glomide Queen at least. Um, but then why help a tarnished? So that's that's also interesting. If her, so... 
the opening cutscene when she is on t- when she's riding Torrent and she sees you face down after you die, right? Um, for the, to the the Golden Scion. Um, once you're face down on the ground, she says, "I will help this tarnished, even though it violates the Golden Order." And the Golden Order seems to be this set of beliefs and this practice that represent the Elden Beast and the Two Fingers. Radagon is a proponent of the Golden Order, for instance, and wants to put back together the Elden Ring when it was shattered Mm -hmm. by Queen Merica. And Queen Merica is seeming to be going against the Golden Order by allowing the Tarnished. She made the call to the Tarnished um, and said, come take what's yours. She called Godfrey back. Perhaps she sent him away to save him. I don't, we don't know. Um, but essentially you're going against the golden order. You're going against the will of the two fingers by, um, chasing after the Elden ring supposedly, but, but there's two fingers that are helping you. So there seems to be a contradiction there. Um, and restoring the Elden ring, by collecting all of the shards seems to be what the golden order wants. And queen Merica, I think doesn't want that. She wants some other, some other thing. So Melina is helping you despite going against the golden order because she is following the calling of her mother. So her mother wants you to go against the golden order ergo. So that's the whole theory is that she's in, she's Mm. an ambassador of her mother and she can play the role of finger maiden and I don't really know. I feel like finger maidens are, they're like fire keepers in the old old games. And I wonder yeah. if they're there just for that mechanic. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of tarnished without a bunch of old fire ones. maidens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Um, Good old crowns. Of, yes. So that's that's all I can really theorize about Melina um, for now. But. Um, that Josh. makes sense, though. Yes, it, it does. does. Yes. Um, and Merica, I in my mind, like she rebels against the Golden Order because it's almost like, you know, it's like fool's gold. Mm. Like you got it's gilded. Like you see the outside of it looks real nice, but on the inside, you know, it's it's corrupt. Yes. Um, there's all these you know politics or whatever being played, and she can see it for what it is. So then she decides, you know what, instead of having this Golden Order be in charge and the two fingers, you know, rule the yeah, the lands between and and you know remove death entirely, so everyone's just kind of stuck here. Like I'm just gonna completely that like that's the impression I got is that she's just like you know what I reject what the golden order is saying that it is because the reality of it is incorrect. Yeah, um, and then Melina kind of falling in there makes perfect sense. Yeah, and. I like to think, and I said this, and I think in the main podcast, but I like to think of Merica as this individual who's rebelling against the two fingers and the Elden Beast, and we don't know why. Um, and it seems to be that, you know, Gideon thinks that Queen Merica would have us struggle infinitely um, to try to become Elden Lord. And I don't yeah. know why that is. Um, ushering in, you know, an age of fracture or an age of age of um perfect order depending on the endings that you get uh, you know an age of chaos or, or you know the you know the chaos the frenzied flame ending and there is this weird 
tension between all these characters because they seem to contradict each other. Like if Queen Merica wants you to um, leave the golden... Yeah, if she wants you to kill her so she is no longer a vassal of the Elden Beast, that makes a little bit of sense. Um, Radagon fights you because he wants to restore the ring and keep things as they are. Um, who put up the wall of impenetrable thorns? You know, I don't know. There's so many sure. things going on here that are that are this and that. And I I like this about this game is that all of the outer gods. I really like that um, that narrative. So, are you familiar? The nuance with, of it, yeah. Are you familiar with all these the outer gods concept and everything? I understand the outer gods as a concept. I know yeah. there are several. I know there's the um, the was it Lord of Blood or whatever that Moog worships yeah, the formless and, mother. Yep, yep, yep. And then the goddess of rot. So like I, I know that they are there, and I understand like each of them kind of has different motivations. Um, but they don't really like that was one other thing. I think I I, I could have seen a little bit more of that. I would have enjoyed is seeing a little bit more direct conflict. Not between the outer gods, but between their interests. It seems like it was like the Golden Order versus I don't know, like everyone, the volcano really. manor. Like yeah, well yeah, like yeah. everyone in its own way, but it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of like what's the end goal for all these other people? Like they're just kind of in with their own side, but not with any particular like it didn't seem like I mean, I guess the end goal was getting the Elden Ring. I guess that's the end goal, isn't it? So, I guess that is a pretty good answer to all of their reasoning. Um, but, I don't know. Like, would all of them have burnt the tree? Would all of them... You know, like, it, it, like right. where where would they have gone when they got it? That's kind of part of the question as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure some of them... And you could probably fill in a little bit more. Um, but go ahead. You, I know you're in the middle of a thought. Go ahead and continue with what you're talking about with the Outer, outer Gods. I was gonna no. I was gonna ask you what your thoughts were on the outer gods, like how you because I feel like to be honest with you, the outer gods is an idea that is the perfected idea of the Bloodborne series, right? Or not series, but essentially Bloodborne is all of these, Maybe. all of these. Um, what did they call them? Um, they weren't gods. They were the something ones. Um, the great ones? Is it great ones? Great, great ones. Yeah, the great yeah, ones. The, yeah, the, the so. The great ones used to be um, in the Bloodborne series, at least. You got the the great one of the moon that's controlling the hunter's dream. You have Margot's wet nurse is a great one. Um, Rom the vacuous spider is a, a a kin of the great one, a great one kin or something like that. So you have that idea, but it's more fleshed out because those are in conflict with each other, right? You have the moon, the moon great one trying to kill other great ones, etc. Um, and that's very interesting. This yeah. game has, in my mind, a better fleshed out idea of all of that. And it's essentially like the formless mother is trying to maintain, to grab the power of a great rune. Um, Aegis, the uh, the world serpent, essentially kind of stealing something from Norse mythology, um, is is what, you know, Praetor Rikard fed himself to, but because of his great rune retained some power, right? Like, if you look at the serpent's body, it's got a bunch of corpses sticking out of it from all the warriors it's consumed. It's this hideous thing. And then Praetor Rikard retained, like, his whole face, right? And that's very interesting, and the ability to control and kind of work with this serpent because of the power of his great rune. Um, and that's all fascinating. You get the formless mother. Millennia is inhabited by the goddess of rot. 
unalloyed gold keeps gods at bay. Um, you know, so many, the glow-eyed queen seems to be a, a, an, a, an outer god. The Elden Beast itself is an outer god. The three fingers represent an outer god, the frenzied flame, which supposedly, according to the um, dialogue of Yura, that one of the guys you meet early on, if you wander that way, it, the chaos flame wants to burn the whole world and reduce it to nothing so that we all return to the singular great one. Kind of like, I kind of hmm. like to think of it as like the Big Bang, but that's the motivations of the three fingers. Of course, we know that that can't actually come to true fruition because Melina shows up, but she's looking different. Her eyes are different colors. One of them is like, is is uh, fogged over and the other is open. The one that was previously closed is opened. And that's, you know, that's interesting. She shows up and says, I will kill you essentially, because you unleash death on the world. So it wasn't a true death because not everything died. So there's a lot There's a lot going on, but I feel like this, the Outer Gods theory and all those, was a better fleshed out idea of what they were trying to do with Bloodborne. And so I, I, I feel like it was a, a better attempt. And I just, I want to get inside the mind of George R. R. Martin and pick out the rest of the pieces that I can't see. Mm, um, and yeah. there's like... So Godwin, is Godwin under the control or influence of an outer god? Why does he look like a mermaid when you're down in the nameless eternal city? Like, why is his bottom half a mermaid, and why does he look like that? Also, what is that creature that's underneath Stormville Castle? Have you seen that thing? Yeah. Yeah. I always assumed that was, like, his face. Mm-hmm. Like, that was what I assumed, because that's what it looks like. It's like a big, giant face. It does, and Rajir, um, it's got the, it's actually the exact same character model as um, Godwin's official body, but it's not orange, it's gray, and it's got arms and hmm. stuff, um, according to what we see when we pull the image out, like the structure that's been built into the game. Uh, it's got arms and a face, and that's it. Um, so we don't know if it has a tail or anything, but Rajir, the sorcerer, says that that's, I think he alludes to the fact that that is Godwin, so if that's Godwin, then what's the thing that's down in the depths where Fia is. So there's so much, but the Lich Dragon Fortisax is there, so it makes it seem like that's the body of Godwin. So I don't Maybe know. Maybe that's his, like, just his torso and lower? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. And was there a great tree underneath the Erd tree? Uh, it is possible to graft plants onto one another. Like, you can, you can take a tree limb, cut it off, sure. mm-hmm. cut a a gap out of a tree and graft the plant onto the tree and it'll grow together. And that's so interesting. Is the Erd tree a parasite? You know what I mean? Like, did it grow on top of an already existing tree? Um, And, you know, so many different theories, but. So here's a question, Jerry. I, I want to know, just clarify it for, for the audience quotation marks, but actually me. Um, What is, the connection between the Erd Tree, the Golden Order, the Elden Ring, and the Elden Beast. Those four things. In my mind, they're all kind of the same, like, outer ones motivating thing. Like, they're, that is from one of those outer gods. But I don't exactly understand, like, okay, the Elden Ring itself is not the Erd Tree, but it's the power of the Erd Tree, and then the Elden Beast is an outer god, but also is supposed to be part of the Elden Ring? Like, I'm, I'm confused about some of that. Mm. So, as I understand it, and 
this is this is my this is my best understanding. So essentially the greater will is the outer god, right? And the greater will sent the Elden Beast as an interdimensional vassal of its golden order, right? The the thing that is lining up the inside of the uh Elden Beast is the golden order itself. Um and the huh. the the shard bearers obviously are carrying runes from the Elden Ring, which is a collection of power, right, that's been distributed. And essentially the Erd tree is just the home to the Elden Beast. That's it. And it's obviously massive and towering. And then there was a fourth thing you asked me about. The ring itself. Yes, the ring is the comp- the, the the composition of all the runes, essentially. Um, oh, okay, I got you. Yeah. And I wonder, too, like, if there would be... So there's a lot of speculation on, like, the seventh ending, right? There's an April Fool's prank that was really, really well done um, of the, seven, the Age of Absolution. Um, it is a fake ending, of course, but they used a lot of the same cutscenes, and it was it was really well done. You should go look it up. Uh, the Age of hmm. Absolution, the false seventh ending, it was really fun. But um, but essentially, that takes a lot of the missing pieces and incorporates some of like Mick, uh, Lord Mikola lore with him and and all this different stuff. Yeah. But um, but essentially, what would happen if you had all of the pieces of the Elden Ring? Um, together what would happen how would you bring about and there doesn't seem it doesn't matter if you collect all of the shards it doesn't matter if you collect all of the rings you still don't get a different ending does it make sense like Mm, if you kill millennia and everyone it doesn't give you an option to have a different ending so you know perhaps there's a missing elden ring in there somewhere but the elden ring just seems to be this this um distribution of power essentially but what's interesting is there is a spear through when you finally find Queen America there's a spear through her side and she's obviously hanging in a crucifix pattern right and you see that throughout the whole game like America's statues are in a arm spread out wide her rune seems to be that top rune that spreads across you know that that is mm-hmm. her rune that she's hanging on seemingly yeah. um there's uh the bottom Great Rune, which we think is Rainy's Great Rune, which if you look up, this is really cool. If you look up at the moon, um, especially from the Rainy's, um, the plateau, the plateau, it looks like there's a Great Rune on the moon, and that's a really cool touch there. I'm not sure if that's actually what that is, but essentially, um, these are just the distributions of the power. I think it was originally given by the Elden Beast, and obviously to all of Queen America's children. Um, Praetor Rikard has one, um, Moog has one, and they're all tainted by their interests and their personalities. They've all been touched by the outer gods that influence them. Moog's has blood all over it. Millennia's has rot all over it. Um, you know, Praetor Rikard's looks, I think it's got a, a serpent wriggling all over it. So that's, it's super interesting. But as far as I know, the Elden Beast contains the Golden Order, um, the, or the, at least the rules within it, right? And just lives inside an inner dimension inside the tree. Um, but it's that that's it. The Greater Will is the Outer God and the Two Fingers of the Prophets and all this different stuff. So mm. I don't okay. know. It's super fascinating. But yeah. Really, um, yeah. I think that central like figure of the Erd Tree, of the Elden Ring, obviously, it's it's not as 
specific as a regular story would be, but it very much holds to classic fantasy, um, the focus of the MacGuffin in movies or whatever that you call it. Um, I mean, again, Lord of the Rings, just having the ring as that centerpiece, I think is just yeah. like fantastic tying everything else together and everything kind of turns on, yeah, who is going to who's going to have the power coming from the runes that the Elden Ring was broken into. And um, having that as its center focus, I think, does a lot for the story. Yeah. Now, lore-wise, Jared, I know you could talk about this all day, but I got one other question for you. Another clarification thing that I think you can answer. And this is the the biggest question of all. This is the biggest question I've ever had, ever. Not really, but um, what is the round table hold? Oh, I can't answer that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No one knows. We don't know. Really? Well, it seems oh. to be a a remake of the the building that is in. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, capital. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what so your thoughts are as good as mine let me hear what what do you think it is oh, i mean it's a it's a place the tarnish can reach mm-hmm. um and it's obviously there is a set of rules that i'm assuming the original founding members put in place or whatever um and you you come there to commune to discuss ideas to research to um just get some reprieve from the world but yeah i don't know like to me it's like it's it's specifically a tarnished area like it almost feels like they are separating themselves from the influence of the outer gods of all just the raging conflict between the demigods so that they can just like even just think (laughs) like that's kind of the the idea i get from it but how they formed it where it actually is why it was formed in the first place is hard to say um but i like the safe haven aspect of it and obviously it's a it's a cool little part of the game that you'll be at all the time it changes with you but i don't i I think at the end of the day that was one of the questions i had that i didn't have answered as completely as i would have liked or even at all (laughs) um was the round table hold so I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess yeah. I'm with you in that way. I don't know. The the grace at the round table hold is exceptionally large. Like most of the grace yeah. when you see it on the ground is this tiny little thing and maybe it's got a point to it, maybe it doesn't. Some some of them don't have directions, they just exist. And the grace at the well, round table hold is massive. And it's it's the central and I want and there's a lot of there's axes and and uh, swords and stuff buried into the table. Um, 
and I really have any, I, I need to do a couple of things. I need to do two things specifically. I need to go back to the Roundtable Hold, and I haven't played this game in a while. I've been playing the game that it will probably be our next podcast. But um, I need to go back to the, um, the Roundtable Hold and look at all of the swords and weapons in that table and see if I can glean any information. And I also need to go back. And you know when you're invaded by Ensha? Um, mm-hmm. I need to try to run around while he's doing that and see if I can't just see what's going on here. Um, and, and maybe there's, you know, it's this exact same, maybe, I don't, I don't know, but I need to like go back when he's invading me and just see what's going on and try to survive while he tries to attack me and, and run around and see what I can't, can't find. Yeah, you know I did. I, mean? I, I will say I did that and I don't think it answered any of my questions. Now maybe you'd find something I didn't, I don't know if I, was as thorough as I could have been. What do you mean? Um, uh, well, I mean exactly what you said. I, I was I looked around like I, I Did jumped you really? down. Oh. And, yeah, when he invaded, I, I ran away from him and I ran into every area I could. Interesting. Yeah, and, and I, I mean it looked like because when you go into the place on the map, like when you go to the capital um, and you walk into that building and you walk into the foyer, you don't even recognize the building right away because you're coming in from the direction that he invades you in Mm -hmm. when you drop down. So you're actually like the original round table hold area that you get dropped on is up in a balcony area of the building that you've just walked into in the middle of the Capitol. And you just, you don't make the connection right away. Um, and then as you begin to move around and obviously you get upstairs eventually, uh, you're able to realize like, oh, this is the round table hold, like this whole building here. So, I mean, when I when I went and looked around, I don't think I noticed anything out of sorts that wasn't there in the real world round table hold. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing stood out to me anyway. And so- maybe you'd find something I didn't. So here's my favorite theory currently, and I say it's my favorite because I just came up with it just now. So essentially, um, <laughs> the round table hold, if you look at the icon on the map, what shape is it? It's a circle. And when you look at... Like the table. So, yeah, yeah. And when you look at the the stone platform where you finally find Merica, what shape is it? Also a circle. And when Fia exits the round table hold after killing D. Where does she go? Underneath the earth tree. And when Gideon finds you towards the end of the game, where is he close to? He's right above, <laughs> he, above where he is at. Right, he's he's in the capital. He's in the uh, He's in the the courtroom, whatever they call it. And when the earth tree is burning, what is also happening to the round table hole? It's burning. I see. Yeah. So huh. my favorite theory is that it, and I don't. I haven't actually seen this anywhere. I was just thinking while you were talking. Uh, my favorite theory, as of now, is that the the round table hold is actually just another circular area platform underneath the um, stone platform in the earth tree or above it, either or, because there's fog in both directions, if I remember correctly. Additionally, the grace is massive, and it's not pointing towards anything uh not on your map it just exists and i wonder Mm -hmm. if it's huge because it's proximity to the earth tree um so that's that's my current theory i don't know if there's anything to that but um i don't know you connected a lot of dots there i really like it yeah i don't know but so so i there's a there's a whole bunch of speculation and and things like that i i don't 
I don't know. It's, it's an odd one. But there's also something odd going on with crumbling Faramazula uh, as far as like, mm-hmm. like, and FromSoft is known for this. Like Solaire explains in DS1 that people are slipping in and out of worlds. They're all connected and you can invade as a spirit and summon others from different timelines and heroes from elsewhere. And it's crazy. Like they, they really do the multiverse on a very, very simple level, but it works. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and it works in a gameplay sense. I'm sure that's why it's there. But but essentially, um, Crumbling Fire Missoula, as well as the Roundtable Hold, seem to be either outside or intertwined with different versions of time or or whatever else. Now, things in the overworld affect those things. For instance, I don't actually, I need to check up on this because I've heard this. I don't know if it's true. I've seen videos, but it could have been edited. Um, essentially, if you feed all nine death route to Garak in the Bestial Sanctum before you fight him in Crumbling Fire Missoula, because it is the same person... He says something. He's like recognizes you as the tarnish that fed him all those death root. And so I wonder if since you fed him the death root in the overworld and he recognizes you in crumbling Faramazula, it can't be out of time. It has to be within time, right? You'd mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I don't know. It 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 makes sense in both ways that you'd go back in time to fight him in crumbling Faramazula and that it's in current time. It, but either way, it works. Like, if he doesn't have the power of the Black Blade, that's why he can't kill you immediately and why his blade is weak, right? And, you know, it doesn't... Well, it, and I think, like, both of those areas aren't in their own time frame. It seems like the, like, geographical, like, tangible physical locations are kind of suspended in time, I guess, but, like, there are still proceedings that go on in both places. Like, right. time moves forward, people right. change, uh, events transpire in both places so i think that that could be applied in both in in that like no like you're still living it like when you when you go to crumbling faramazula you're not going back in time anywhere anywhere you're going into your current moment and the world around you's current moment um and all those enemies that you kill and stuff are are not from the past they're from now you know right um but the actual place itself seems to be suspended yeah. And I don't know why that's the case or what the difference is there. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it It's certainly weird. I think, but you can also, <laughs> you can also see the crumbling Faramazula. Actually, no, can't, you can't, can you? But you can see other overworld locations. Like you can see the yeah. um, separated tower where Millennia gets, you know, you can revive Millennia's great rune. You can see that from Crumbling Faramazula. You can see the Mountain of the Giants from Crumbling Faramazula. Yeah, um, but you can't see it the other way. That's so exactly, interesting. I never noticed exactly. that. Exactly. So it's 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 funky. Um, I have a question for you, Josh. You ready for this? Let's um, hear it. Um, and I lost my question. Of course I did. <laughs> That's how always how that works. So biggest biggest surprise, Jared, for you in the story itself. Or, or favorite moment, maybe, because we're talking lore stuff, right? Yeah. But, like, in the actual Elden Ring story, the plot, what was what was your best moment, awesome, surprise, whatever? That's a good question. Um, so my question, I'll, let me answer that, and then you think about my question here. So my question to you is, where do the ruins come from in Limgrave? Why are there a bunch of ruins lying mm. on the ground? So while you think about that, so my favorite, one of my favorite moments in questions unanswered was once i realized there was a bunch of outer gods um i was like okay you know what's going on here where did 
where did Godfrey go? Why is it? One of the coolest moments is when I realized that when you fight Godfrey, right, he is sent away on a long journey and he finally comes back, this beaten, gray-haired old warrior with the spirit animal Sarash on his back, which restrains his feelings, right? As he's cradling his son Morgoth, right, we think that's his son, um, the beast roars, you know, and the beast I, is representative of his, of his emotions. Um, so obviously he's in, he's in a great deal of pain, but, but there is a grace line pointing from Godfrey to you. I don't know if you ever noticed that. There's a wide shot where you see two of you. You're on the right side of the screen. He's on the left. And there's a grace pointing from him to you. As if like his destiny, where his grace is pointing, and it's heading in your direction. The particles are floating towards you. Hmm. Um, That's what his destiny is, to fight you as the tarnished. Maybe because you hold all the runes. So if he beats you, he gets all the runes, etc. Um but that was a cool, cool moment once I realized that was the case. Um, I was like, that's, that's pretty boss sauce. Um, but, <laughs> that is pretty dope. Yeah. But, so the ruins, the, the reason I ask about the ruins is because the ruins don't match crumbling Pharaoh Missoula, but they're mm. there. They're all over the ground. Where, have yeah. you, any theories? My, my thought was always that there was a, like another castle or maybe mm. just like variety of buildings that were in Limgrave. Cause you got Stormvale there already. Yeah. But, uh, I don't remember the NPC's name, but there's like a Lord of Limgrave that you run into and he's like, Oh, I got unseated. And like, I'm trying to get back into, you know, being in charge. And, um, do you remember his name? I don't remember his name. Um, I do. It's Kenneth height. Kenneth. Yes. Yeah. And um, he, his storyline is interesting. You, his and Nefeli Luz are tied together. So yeah. he claims that there's no good lord for Limgrave. He asks you to help. He can't knight you until he finds one. And then if you finish out Nefeli Luz's questline, you can find her at the castle in in Stormvale with Kenneth Height, and he agrees to make her lord of Limgrave, and she agrees to it or something like that. But it's only after you give her the Stormhawk King ashes. And you can only find those if you go to the four belfries and travel back to the place where you originally started. Then mm. it'll the door to the top part of the room will open and you can get the Stormhawk King ashes. But you can't actually summon the Stormhawk King. You have to give it to Nefeli. That's the only option you have. And it doesn't make any sense. That's one of the things that annoys me. It's like, why <laughs> put that in there? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't even follow. It doesn't. There's no logical reason why I should do that. It's just if I happen to have it in my inventory and I happen to be talking to Nefeli at the same time, then I'll see that I can give that to her. And that's yeah. like, you know, whatever. But that's where his quest line concludes and you get an ancient dragon smithing stone or something like that. Hmm. But... But so he's not specifically the Lord then no, he's, no, he's looking not. to, oh, okay. Okay. So that was a mistake I made. All right. Well then I don't know. Like uh, that was always my thought was like, Oh, yeah. these are like ruins coming from the, um, shattering from the war that happened after the Elden ring. So do you, do you have a thought? I it's, um, the, um, the ruin fragments actually give you a description. Um, I don't remember what it is. So they hint at something, though. Yes, they do. Okay. I had not looked at that, so I'll have to take a peek at that next time I'm running around Limgrave. 
Yes. So the Elden Ring, um, these, yeah, their description is this. It's like, these shards of stone are believed to have once been part of a temple in the sky. They glow with a faint light from within. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, interesting. So that means there would have been something in the sky that fell to Limgrave. Part of it, um, at least, yeah. Which, which would make you think Crumbling Pharaoh Missoula. Right. But it's interesting, like if, it. you, if you look at the ruins all over Limgrave, they don't look like... So, like, the Crumbling Pharaoh Missoula, no, you'll, you'll yeah. notice that those ruins have beasts engraved in the concrete, essentially. Um, and these ruins have nothing of the kind. Huh. Yeah, because my first thought was maybe they're just from that dragon era, but, mm-hmm. yeah, if they don't match, then... They would have been something after. Yeah. Questions. So many questions. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Maybe you're the Lord. Say what again? Maybe you're the Lord of Limgrave secretly. And yes. You just, you've given up that on your own quest. Well, there's also a lovely little player theory that suggests that you are Mikola. Um, and Ooh. I don't remember all of the details, but it's essentially saying, like, the only reason you can beat demigods at all is because you're secretly Mikola. Um, some suggest that he's a young boy, others a a young girl. Um, And so you could be either gender, right? And that's the player's choice at the start of the game. Additionally, he is plagued with unending youth. But if you look at his arm as it dangles out of the egg in the the sanctuary, it's old and pockmarked and wrinkled, Mm -hmm. Um, suggesting that perhaps there's a way he overcame that. So you could be any age as the player, any whatever else, and you could technically still be Mikola. Mikola is non-responsive, suggesting that his spirit has left, and you have the spirit of Mikola. That's how you're able to maintain great runes. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of other things suggesting that you are Mikola, and that's why he doesn't show up a ton. I don't know. All I know is that this game needs a DLC. (laughs) Because DLCs from FromSoft typically solve several pressing questions not all of them they do but solve a lot of them and i i just can't wait you can have my money now from soft i'll prepay whatever it's worth and you can have it but sometimes they add in more questions sometimes they do that Mm -hmm. but i think i think they know like with what they have here they got to deliver on that front as well as of course the the gameplay fronts as well i do wish that your character was a little bit more specific that's just me, though. I mean, you can go different ways with protagonists, right? Um, and Dark Souls is not that way. Like, th- this being a spiritual successor to that particular franchise, Dark Souls isn't that way at all. But I don't know. Like, especially after playing Ghost of Tsushima and, you know, reminiscing on Sekiro. Like, I like, every so often, you know, I, I like having a specific protagonist story heavy yes yes you know like is involved has their own personality has their own emotional outbursts or whatever um and obviously just you just don't have that in Elden ring which is its its own direction to take it but i I do wonder what the game would have been like if you had been um a little bit more specific of a person yeah no i'm certainly with you you don't even have really there's no dialogue, there's no exclamations, as opposed to something like Sekiro has his own thoughts and his own words while you fight. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Or at least in cutscenes, and that's what I mean, really. 
And yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I kind of miss that because there's kind of like a nothingness. There's like a lack of passion yeah. almost. There's a coldness really. And especially as you kill NPCs, you're like, why am I doing this again? My character doesn't <laughs> care. It's just the silent murderous type. And it's like, I don't know how to feel about that. But no, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> with you. I, I want to make a comment and um, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think that probably... Elden Ring and Dark Souls' greatest strength is doing is doing more with less. Um, mm. As I play Skyrim, as I play have played, you know Sekiro, Horizon, you know a lot of RPG games. There seems to be almost an overstimulation of information. You have very cluttered maps. You have um, you have overwhelming visual stimulus from all directions you have as opposed to the FromSoft formula which is minimal npcs high quality but low count like think about how many times you get ganked in ghost of tsushima right crews of six seven twenty people right that rarely yeah. happens in elden ring or in um uh other games you, you high quality uh in other FromSoft games i mean high quality low quantity typically um, and it's, it's, it feels very sparse. It feels very bare. And I think that little is much really when it comes to these sure. games and they, they really make it work with very little. And there's, there's a subtlety to what you don't say, what you don't do. And I think they've just nailed it. Um, and yeah, you, you feel there's a richness to the background for sure, especially in Elden Ring. Think about that swirling tornado in the back of you know my favorite map, Crumbling Farmazula. But, but there's also a scarcity. There's a there's a beauty in the silence of things. There's a there's Absolutely. a there's a haunting loneliness in the lack of NPCs. There's a there's a a, um, a mild creepiness to everything you do because everything's so empty and 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 massive. Right. Right. So I, I think I want to applaud them for that. But at the same time, I'm with you. Sometimes I do enjoy other games in which there's more, it feels like there's more depth, maybe more fullness to it is a better word for it. I don't know. What do you think about, <laughs> and even as, I, even as I'm about to say it, I know this is not a good idea, but Elden Ring, but no map. Just mm. zero. <laughs> it sounds like you don't you don't like that idea very much. No, could no. Could you imagine? I, could you imagine? Oh my goodness! This game yeah. would be nigh impossible yeah. to like navigate. Well, well, yes and no. Yeah, yeah. I I suppose that. I mean, Dark Souls doesn't have map. Right. That's what I was gonna say. Is like you, they've they've been doing things without a map for the longest time. I think the reason that they chose a map is because they wanted this to feel like more of a rich fantasy as opposed to a fever dream. Um, you know, it, in dreams, you don't have access to a map. There's very little chance to step back and look at things from a big picture, uh, which is, you know, the idea that you get from Bloodborne, from, you know, from Dark Souls. It's that you're stuck in a nightmare is this vibe. As opposed to Elden Ring, you are in a fantasy, it feels like, and the map really makes that feel real. Think of it, yeah. when, you, when you say the word Lyernia, what comes to mind is the map. When you say the mm -hmm. word Kaled, what comes to mind is that ugly, ugly barf red um, and <laughs> of, of that side of the map. Um, when you think of Limgrave, you probably think of the first stepping out and seeing it, you know, from the tomb for the first time. But when you think of 
you know, the herb tree and all you visualize these things. But when you think of the areas of these, this, this location, you think of the map data because that's what you looked at to navigate and stuff. I think without a map, it'd be just fine. But you, you mean no more talk of this get good crowd. I think you'd be alienating yourself. yeah. Yeah. You, you, and that's something actually, to be honest with this little conversation I knew we were having, I wanted to revisit a little bit about, Nah, I guess we don't have to, but like whether the game was easy or not. Well, no, let's let's hear it. Like, yeah, and they really, they, they really did concede several points. You know, the fat unlimited fast travel. Uh, the, the, yeah, yeah. The map here, the compass pointing north or east or whatever. Even if you do get lost, like I'll note this, like in Ghost of Tsushima to compare. If you want to locate something, you really better put it as your objective because there's no compass at the top of your screen. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's, a annoying a little bit as opposed to in Elden Ring, they put a compass up there. So it's like, I want to head North. Then you just head North and you kind of work your way, but at least you always have your compass and you know which mm-hmm. direction you're facing, et cetera. Um, and there's which a lot is of, a bit of a concession. In yes. Right. And it, from those standpoints and those arguments, I suppose you could say that the game did get a little quote unquote easier, maybe more accessible, you know, I don't know. And it also, did. There's no way around. Like you can't say it didn't. Like you right. can, it just it had to because yeah. of what it was attempting to do. Yeah. And as much as I wish, yeah, that you couldn't just fast travel everywhere. Like I even though like, you know, me being an old school gamer really liked the fact that in Dark Souls, you know, you had to like work through half of the game before you could even teleport. Um I just don't see that as being a wise decision. Like maybe it's one that I would have liked, but I don't think it would have been a wise design decision for this game. And that goes for pretty much all the concessions they made. I think, I think they made the right call. Um, it does make the game easier. It does make it more accessible, but I personally begrudgingly think that they made the right call. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still enough where, you know, there's some graces where you can pivot right to the point you need to go to. You know, I think of the bestial sanctum. I mean, your grace is inside that, you know, the sanctum. And so you you hop out and you go right to Garak. And then I think of, like, Celibus, who's an annoying NPC that you have to deal with regularly. There is no <laughs> grace in his tower. So you have to go to Ronnie's grace, jump out the window, and then ride around. And it takes, you know, sub 30 seconds, but it's still annoying um, to get to him. And, you know... It, if you're going to do a design like this, how are you going to do it balancing tediousness and convenience? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a tough one, but I, but I, I wonder if the word is not easier. The game didn't get easier, but it got more accessible. Cause I still think Elden Ring is hard as all get out. And well, here's something I wanted to bring out Jared, cause this is one of the points I think we didn't quite touch on in the last podcast that, goes along with the difficulty of the game. I think what makes this game tough, quote-unquote, uh, what where the difficulty comes in, because, yes, they've given you so many tools, they've given you so many ways to access what what their games before in the past were, were very much, you know, saying, nope, if you don't do it our way, or uh, nope, this is just going to be a slog, there's no way around it. Now they've given you all kinds of different tools at your disposal that in order to compensate what they've done and i almost part of me thinks that the game maybe just would have resonated with me a little bit better if you're the enemies i I, personally and tell me if i'm wrong here jared 
personally, I think the enemies are severely aggressive to a fault. Um, aggressive in a way that is obviously overwhelming because of how many different animations and movesets and chains of attacks they have, which are insane compared to any other From Software game they've ever made. Um, so incredibly aggressive. But when I say to a fault, it's because there's there. It's almost to the point where, um, like, literally everything can kill you except for maybe the the basic guys at the beginning of the game. Um, if you're not careful at any point in the game, like if you're if you're being a little lackadaisical, uh, if you make one silly move or something, you get wrecked because of how aggressive and just insane the chain attacks are for these different enemies that you, and and monsters and and bosses that you face and. I just, I felt like playing the game, and this was something I noticed, uh, I mean, pretty quickly on, but I don't think I fully formulated why I felt this way until recently. Um, I felt like I was on edge a lot. Mm. Like, you're just on edge, like, just like, oh, like, what's going to attack me? Or like, oh, and which is like, okay, that's fun. That's from software or whatever. But I can tell you in a lot of the other games that I've played, I get to a point where, you know, I'm a little bit more relaxed. I feel like I'm at the point where I'm, um strong enough to handle most things even though it's new areas and whatnot i don't want to use the word complacent but i do kind of feel like i get into a rhythm with other games over the course of time in an eldering i it's not that i i couldn't achieve a level of talent to enjoy that but that quite simply because the game is so ridiculously aggressive um i just couldn't i just i simply couldn't um, because even if I slow down one bit, uh, if I'm not circle, 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 like six, seven times to get out of the range of someone, I'm going to die. Like, whereas in other games, I would needed one dodge, maybe two dodges to get out of their range and then wait for an opening and go in. Now I'm like running to the opposite side of the map in order to just get out of the range of this aggressive, mad creature so that I can finally turn around to do something before they try to attack me while I'm healing. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. I don't know if you agree with any of that, uh, if this game maybe needs that to compensate. But I would say that's where, you know, they increase the difficulty in order to compensate. Yeah, I so it's interesting. I. I agree and disagree. And in the sense that I okay. agree, um, you know, you look at Godfrey, like hit, Godfrey has an axe combo that is 12 massive hits long. And if you get swiped by even two of those, you're done. And sometimes yeah. swiped by one, you're done, depending on what level you are, right? If you get there too early. Um, most people don't, though. But like, Or if you're like, you know, a mage or a faith-based. Sure, you sure, sure. points into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you... If you are in the wrong place at the wrong time, you're going to get smacked by some combos. So it's a requirement to have like six or seven <laughs> near perfect dodge rolls to get out of a bad situation. Melina or Millennia, excuse me, is the same situation. I mean, she's got she's yeah. got combos mm-hmm. out the wazoo, my guy. And so the the balancing of the combat in this game, I feel like. They are going crazy with patches. I don't know if you knew this, but like about two patch patch updates ago, they actually lowered the aggro for from dual boss fights. So like now when one is attacking I you, did see that one. When mm-hmm. one is attacking you, the other does not. And you know, that feels a little fair, but I almost feel like it's a concession to their hardcore players because 
there's a lot of people that feel like using summons is like quote unquote cheating, even though it's not. We mm-hmm. talked about this last episode in the main episode. We covered this about how that's a strat, not a not a cheat, and um, and so I feel like that was a concession to some of their more hardcore players that want to play these bosses without you know cheesing or using summons or anything. So they eased up on them just a little bit. That's fine. Whatever you want to do, but I also feel like you have to raise the aggro when you have a game mechanic as strong as summons are. And that's essentially, you know, without summoning a player from the internet, you give yourself a a little AI that'll help you out. And sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. So I almost feel like the aggression is necessary, but I also feel like it's rough. Do you remember how rough the, um, the combat was in DS1? I feel like because they reinvented (laughs) the combat, they're going to go through these growing pains. And I don't know if they're going to fix all of them with patches or if they're going to have to make an Elden Ring 2, part 2, where the combat's going to be smoothed out like it was from DS1 to DS3. You know what I'm saying? So, sure. So I wonder like which direction they're going to go. But because they did so many, um, I don't want to say breakthrough, but I, I haven't used summons in any other game. So I feel like, to me, it yeah. feels breakthrough, but I, I'm sure it exists in other games. But like, because they use so many different strate- uh, strategic combat options in this game, including the Ashes of War, which even got, you know, got even more varied from DS3, um, that they had to change things up. And so, yeah, I, I feel the aggression, but I also feel like it's warranted. And two, my perspective is coming from someone who is on New Game Plus 4. And so you are OP New Game Plus 2 and New Game Plus 3 until you really get to the last boss fight, which is, you know, Elden Beast. Every Even, even any of the demigods feel easy peasy compared to New Game, you know, the first, sorry, pardon me, the original playthrough. Um, yeah. And that's just because of how they're wired, how they're, you know, how much you level up, etc., Millennia is hard no matter what. That's how she's designed. But most of the, like, Elden Beast, round two was pretty easy even, and he's supposed to be the hardest one. But after that, there's a scope, there's a scaling on difficulty. So I almost feel like instead of scaling enemies to, well, I don't know if this is true. This is not a true statement. But it almost feels like area-specific scaling. So, like, if you're in Limgrave, they're always going to be easy. And if you're Mm -hmm. in Kaled, they're always going to be annoying and if you're in um, if you're in the Forge of the Giants, they're always going to be a you know hard stuff 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 like that. If they're you know, so it it just and I appreciate that. Yeah. Like I think the I, I like the idea of you know the feeling of oh hey you shouldn't be here yet you're not yeah. strong enough. And then I like the other way around where you go back to Limgrave and you're like oh I'm just destroying everything. But even in Limgrave, like if I get hit. And then the guy just keeps following up. Yeah. Okay. Maybe if I'm not at the end of the game, like I probably still survive. But like it's just so aggressive. Yeah. It's so aggressive all across the board. Which you're right. It plays into the fact that yes, you can summon. Yes, you have your horse. Like you, you got all these crazy spells. You got all these awesome weapons. Like you got the ability to bring in your own friends or whatever. So sorry, we're gonna make it aggressive. Is kind of the answer. But I don't know. I, I don't know. Something there, I think, is is not quite fine-tuned, kind of yeah. like you said. Yeah. Um, maybe in a second they'll be able to, to nail it. Perhaps. I, I think part of that, too, is 
um, I think you mentioned this in the main podcast too, is like it's not easy largely in part of the input reading, right? Like you go to heal right. and the Godskin duo is going to throw a flame, black flame ball at you every time. Right. Like they're just, mm-hmm. their AI is written that way. Their code is written that way. And I think maybe part of that is when you think of like the bosses in DS1, DS, DS3, uh, Bloodborne, when you are, you know, prancing around, running from their attacks, there is a point in which they stop attacking you and just start slowly walking towards you. Almost every boss has that, right? There's yep. a there's yep. a breather, there's breaths in between the phases, and you can get a couple mm-hmm. hits in before they start their attack. And that's what makes those games, those bosses so classic because that reminds you of those old bosses you used to have on PlayStation, you know, where you just do as much damage as possible dodge the incoming attacks and whatever else but with this game we're, we're dealing with an ai that's input reading that's that's feeding off of your button pushing and trying to accommodate for that uh and i think even ghost of tsushima does that a little bit um i feel like sure well and sekiro does too exactly. like I'm talking exactly. about from software but i think that was like a lesson from sekiro that i wish they didn't 100 percent apply here mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i, I don't know I have, it's so, it's it's funny. I put over 215 hours into Elden Ring. It's hard to imagine my first playthrough now because I've played, hmm. I've played so many hours. Like my first playthrough was just under, I don't remember what it was, but it was like 120 hours or something like that. I took my time exploring a lot of the things, but, but I also put a significant amount of time into doing the main quest lines and all that different stuff. So I, I finished the game, but I had a lot of experience. So I felt pretty comfortable towards the end of the game. But having upgraded everything, maxed everything, and then going through so many hours post that, it's just, it just feels like a different game almost yeah. um, in terms of aggression because, you know, most of the time either I one-shot them or they one-shot me at the point yeah. that I'm at. So it's it's just, I don't know, it, it changes its vibe for sure. I think the first time you play through the game, it just grips you with sheer terror because every time you turn a corner, it's like you never know when you're going to get ganked. Obviously, all the sucker punches. You mentioned that before. So I'm, yeah. I'm with you, but I also think that like it's it's the first of its kind in all of the combination of new things that they've put in there. So so it's like I, I kind of – I don't know how to feel exactly, but I do see what you're saying. It does feel a lot more aggressive than older games for sure. That's my only thought as far as like combat goes. Did mm-hmm. you have any other thoughts regarding that that you didn't bring up in the last podcast? No, not really. I actually feel like combat is something that we covered really well in the last podcast. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I would agree with you there for sure. Okay, check that out. The last topic for me, Jared, and, and of course I know you still have things I'm sure you'd like to talk about, but for me, I wanted to touch base on just the multiplayer a little bit more, mm. specifically um, ways that maybe it could be improved um, or, you know, just talking about like the messages. Obviously, it's a big thing in these games. I think they when the f- game first hit, there were messages everywhere mm. and they did a lot to mitigate that. Now, at this point, it only shows you a few and you can actually use items to show more, which is cool. Um and and they're fun. I I like the messages. I don't know about you, Jared, but I like the blood stains. I like the messages. A lot of people see it as very cluttered and annoying, and it, you know, destroys the beauty of the game. But I just I like me some Dark Souls poetry. It makes me chuckle. Yeah. Um, so love those aspects of the game. Um, I like 
I like it when it question, makes me question if there's an illusory wall. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I hate it because this game is so big that it happens all the freaking time. Uh, but that was one thing about Elden Ring that I truly appreciated the restraint is that there are not just illusory walls everywhere. It's It seems like it's in very specific places. And oftentimes it's in like a, a, um, a catacomb or something. Um, you'll find one of the walls goes in some odd direction. But I appreciated their limited use. Anyway, um, multiplayer though, um, just talking about the different aspects of, you know, how you engage with it. I will say I put a little bit more time into trying to invade uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, and I had some fun. Um, I began to realize the way to do it, and I think last time we talked, I just hadn't done it enough, but the way to do it is obviously use your multiplayer status on your map to see where people are, and then just go to a spot where you know they're going to be summoning other people, and then you attack, um, which is fun. It's fun being the aggressor. I did not realize when I first did it that I would lose my souls if I died. I thought if I was doing it kind of co-op style that I wouldn't lose my souls, and I lost like 100,000 I guess runes, I always call them souls. Sorry, that's just never going to change. Um, so that was unfortunate. But outside of that, it's fun just like jumping in, people being confused about you. Uh, <laughs> you, you can surprise them. As a mage, it's really fun because you can surprise them with any spell to hit them off, you know, to start start off the attack um, and then go from there. Pick them off. Usually they kill me, but... I felt like my my very short-lived career as an invader actually went pretty well. Uh, I took out quite a few people. So I would recommend it, Jared. I know that you don't necessarily jump into the invasion side of things very often, but I would recommend it. It can be fun. And obviously, you got to put aside your pride a little bit and realize that people are going to wreck you. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. Depending on who you invade. Yeah. But a lot of the times, the people that are asking for help are not the people that are going to be super amazing at the game. So... Yeah, you get some good and you get some bad. There's some there's some interesting psychology in the PvP versus um, PVE argument. You know, do you want to play the game just as is, or do you want to invade other players? And the psychology is is that the arrogance of other people bothers you, right? Like that's <laughs> why. No, think about it. Think about it. I mean, hear me out. So like when I go against Margaret the Fell and he kills me for the seventieth time, right? There's no arrogance in what he's doing. He's a computer program. He's he's an AI. Come on, man. Like there's no there's no personal feelings in there. But when you've got a long drawn out PvP battle, it's one off. <laughs> there's you're never gonna see them again, more than likely. And and you end up losing to them and they like teabag your character. Come on. <laughs> That's the most infuriating because you know they're just sitting there with their controller, probably naked and eating Cheetos, just in their jammies <laughs> or something. And they're just they're just having the time of their lives crunking on noobs because they don't have a girlfriend and they're a loser, right? So it's like it's so it's <laughs> so that's annoying. what you think of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like it, there's a there's the human spirit that like hates the arrogance that you feel coming from the other side of the screen. Isn't that interesting? There's like you can feel their spirit coming through the screen. And and um I, I, you're reminding me like clash royale right now it's yeah essentially i hate like that the game. little like the um like emotes that you yes can yes oh. and when you lose the all the they just spam the laughing emotes. yes i hate those people <laughs> yes it's the same idea it's the same 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 idea now oh, PV- could you imagine that in yeah. elden ring <laughs> yeah dude i i know it well they they have the emotes because they but because they take so long you're normally out of there by the time they can do just one so but yeah. um 
Just teabag. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. But the um, certainly the PvP, it, it needs a little bit of help. I just don't, I don't like every time I have invaded someone. I've done it a couple times, but it's like well, probably ten times total. I've invaded someone, and seven out of the ten times they're coming at me with like a dual wielding rivers of blood katana or <laughs> or or spammy magic or yeah something stupid so it's like ugh, it, you know what i mean like it's it's not it's not fun it's annoying but that's okay it's a first trial run it's elden ring it's an open world map it's unique it's it's fun to do duels i like duels those are fun um i don't care for the ganks much but because sometimes I feel like I enter into a battle I can't win all of a sudden, and it's like, eh, it's whatever. But um, but yeah, no, it is what it is. I, I'm not a big fan of it, but I, I don't necessarily have too many problems with it. I just think they need to tone down some of the weapons that are like OP just a little bit. But I don't, I don't really know how sure. to solve that without making them awesome and super satisfying to use against bosses either, right? It's like you can't really right. – yeah. It's a you, tough. You don't want to get balance. used to how you're ganking people in the overworld and then go into PvP and be like, why do I suck? So, you know, it is what it is. But I like this word gank. It's pretty great. Well, it's I heard it from, you know, a YouTuber, but it's essentially when you get killed by a squad, is you know, it's one versus five, you know, something like that. So Yeah. But I like That's it too. Funny. It's a nice satisfaction. So then so then what do, do you just not care for PV, PvP in most multiplayer situations, or are there ways in which you would actually enjoy this one. No, I actually enjoyed the PVP in DS3. So like I left oh, okay. my I left my um I was part of some clan or something. And that's what a lot of people have actually said that they should do is bring back clans or not clans but guilds, yeah. I think whatever it is. Um, yeah, the guilds. Yeah. And and those are fun cuz then you can be summoned to help your guild. You're one of a kind, it's kind of a teamwork thing, you know, us versus them. But but I also feel like I saw a variety of different weapons. Sometimes I saw people using spears. Sometimes people would use claws and get up close. A lot of people use great swords or heavy weapons. Some people would use rapiers. Some people used magic. Um, it was it was a variety. So that's why I felt like the weapons were way more balanced in DS3. That's what I think the PvP in Elden Ring suffers from a little bit is the imbalance mm-hmm. of some of the weapons. But That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And- I don't know if they're like maybe you just limit like those particular items get swapped out or something. Yeah. I don't know. Like I don't I don't know what you do there. Outside of that, the only other thing, and I wanted to just say this, and we'll talk about this when we talk about Ghost, but uh, I would love to have what they have for Ghost of Tsushima in Elden Ring, which is a Legends multiplayer, yeah, like where you're you're working together to go take down a camp. Um, or you're working together to stay alive as long as possible. Yeah. Oh man, could you? I I would love that in Elden yeah. Ring, dude. Like if you're just like you're sectioned off in the capital, and you just have at first it's basic hordes of enemies, and then by the end you're facing off against twelve pumpkin heads, mm-hmm. and you know a, a guard watchdog, yeah. and you know like I would just I would I'm love that. They yep. have so many enemies and, yep. and so many tools at your disposal. That'd be so much fun. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I've never had more fun in a multiplayer game with you than I have with Ghosts. No doubt. It was great. Um, but that would be my last thing, Jared. Just quick touch base on multiplayer. Uh, gotta love the trolling messages. Gotta love uh, invading from time to time. Yeah, to your comment um, about the bloodstains everywhere, I think that's just peak uh, Souls community, and I love that. I wouldn't change that Yeah. At all. Yeah. Yeah, it is something like once you're in the community, you get it. Yeah, for you sure. Yeah. 
All right. Any other thoughts, Jared? Any other ideas you want to throw at me? No, sir. I feel like we covered it uh, a good bit. I got a lot out that I wanted to say in the original podcast that either we didn't have time for or it felt it would feel unnatural to bring the conversation back to some of these things. So yeah. I feel good about this one. This was a good uh, two and a half, you know, half episode. I like it. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you sitting down with me. You know, I could probably I think I've got like another 15, 20 things, but they're all just kind of like random. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, favorite weapon best boss although we talked about bosses but i mean like technically um i'm just gonna like throw some of these out here how would you tweak elden beast um has elden ring changed you for the positive what feature breaks the game the most uh if you had to get an elden ring tattoo what would it be (laughs) so um yeah lots of i mean we could we could talk about elden ring just the lore itself took up an hour you know we could talk about this for for time in continuum and perhaps we will um so this is not the end but it has been a game that resonated i think with jared and i in a way that few games do so we definitely wanted to give it its due and i think we've done that we accomplished that with these couple of episodes um and you'll hear about it more trust me we're not done talking about it so you'll hear about this probably from us for the rest of this year for years to come and uh that's because it's, it's a great game if you haven't gotten it go get it Um, nonetheless we don't have any verdict to give here so this is the end of the episode thanks for listening um if you were confused as to why we're talking about all the ring again sorry uh but hope you enjoyed it regardless uh next time we talk it will be over a game that we are nominating and it is ghost of tsushima is the plan right now so we are looking forward to that uh again you guys can reach out to us on social media via our email askvgb at gmail.com or if you find us in some grocery store feel free to tap us on the shoulder and whisper sweetly into our ear that's how i prefer it actually (laughs) there you go um so nonetheless thanks for listening uh this is the video game bard signing off jared final thoughts last word no i think i was actually thinking this earlier today in 2025 josh we need to decide on the best 10 games of the last 25 years the best 10 games the last quarter century that's what we need to do that sounds awesome. We got to play them all first. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get there. We're we'll on our way. There, yeah. We'll get there. We're at, we're on number 30, 32, <laughs> and we'll be on the next title here soon. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. You have a good one.